Everybody, welcome back to the show. The show's on again. It's the Game by Show. Today is the seventh of June, twenty seventeen. My name is Legrand, your host. I'm joined with Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, hey hi there, guys, and uh, congratulations to the Harlem Globetrotters NBA champions once again. Ah, uh, finally. Yes. And Dale Jones over there. Hey, Dale. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, it's going all. It's going all right. Can you do the Harlem Globetrotters whistle, Dale? There it goes. Good job, Dale. Uh, who won the basketball game tonight? Anyone? Uh, I thought it really was the Harlem Globetrotters. It could, it's definitely not the other team that they play against and always beat. Oh my gosh! I freaking guessed Warriors by five. And I should have bet on it. Because that, it's only one by five. Is the series over now? Or yeah, one more game. One more game? One more game to win for the Warriors. Did the Warriors come out to play, yay? Yeah. Somebody where I work wrote Cavs in six on the board. But I guess that's probably not going to be correct. Uh, that's impossible at this point. Okay. It would have been possible today, but after today's game, no longer. I'm just going to. But enough of this. Enough of sports ball. Who watches? Who watches sports ball? I I pretend that I follow sports (laughs) sometimes. I don't. But I don't really follow. I might have fooled everybody with my Harlem Globetrotters reference. I'm pretty sure people think I'm legit. Um, your Harlem Globetrotters reference? Yeah, that they won everything. I mean, that's the only basketball team I really know about. Have you ever seen them uh, play? Uh, I think I did once, like a long time ago. Really? I was pretty impressed that they could get away with some of that stuff without getting, you know, called by the referee. Well, yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. I mean, they've got to be good. They're so good. Way good. <laughs> well, let's uh, talk about some video games we've been playing. Uh, I'm going to start it out with um, a game we've already NBA talked about Jam. a lot. <laughs> NBA, NBA Jam. Jam. Madden twenty Jordan versus Bird. Jordan Jordan is the champion again. <laughs> Double dribble. Do you guys remember that Jordan versus Bird game that had like the dunk contest? Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, wasn't On it? The, there was like you could play a three point or you could play a dunk contest or something. Well Larry Bird did the three point contest and yeah. Jordan did the dunk contest. Yeah. You yeah. like would choose a dunk and you'd have to like pull it off somehow. You had like a certain way to do it. Yeah. That was that's really when that basketball game. was real basketball. That's when that's when I was a kid and I cared. Yeah. Uh, more about basketball. Uh, anyway, I have been playing a game that's already been talked about several times on the show, and that's Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, I picked Andromeda. it up because uh, it was cheap, and I installed it, and um, I played it a bunch. Well, and by a bunch, I mean like maybe three or four hours. Uh-huh. So, according to Dale's timeline, I'm not very far in the game. Nope. Um, it's a long game, apparently. Uh, so, so my first question, you're coming to it post-patch, right? So you're coming to it with the optimized, full... Whatever they did. ...animation experience. And to There's be completely honest... just today, actually. Oh, really? I yeah, think, I think it's something to do with Bloom or something. Oh, good, because there's tons of that. I, I turn Bloom <laughs> off in every game because I hate it. <laughs> I, I turn everything to J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing with Mass Effect is I never paid attention to any of the... Uh, I never saw any of the GIFs online of the funny faces, and I never, 
I, you heard from people that's not as good and all this stuff and you know reviews were lower than the last mass effect games and um but uh i i like the dales you know dale and i seem to have um similar tastes when it comes to video games and i trust dale's opinions in a lot and he actually liked it a lot so yeah. i said hell why not and i picked it up uh, on the cheap it was like only 30 bucks on green man gaming it was on sale and so i bought it and installed it and um yeah, I really, really like it. It's definitely very... Um, the tone of the game is very, very different from um, from the uh, other three Mass Effect games. Where the other three games is basically revolves around you trying to fight, you know, the Reapers and this, you know, this evil power that's been around. And, and that's the whole premise of the entire series of the first three Mass Effect games. And this one's more like, hey, we're traveling to this distant uh, solar... This distant... Uh, galaxy the andromeda galaxy and we're just going to try to make a go of it and then you know hilarity ensues and things things go bad and it's basically as far as i it's just i can tell it's just you just trying to pick up the pieces and um you know try to figure out how to live out in space yeah see so it's the crucial thing the crucial bit of information to know is that when the andromeda folks set off from the milky way uh, you know, like 600 years in the past because everything takes, was fine. It takes a long time to get there. Exactly. Yeah. They had all these planets picked out. They're like, all these planets look like really good places to go and just, uh, you know, build our log cabins and, and just be homesteaders. Uh, but then when they get there, it's like, oh my gosh, everything's messed up. What happened? And then all this stuff happened like 300 years ago, but we have no idea this happened because we, we were, were sleeping. All sleeping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then you're, then it's like, oh crap. Uh, where's everybody else on the other ships? What's wrong with our planets? What's going on? Oh, no. Pathfinder, save us. Oh, no. There's some space something going on. There's these other aliens and technology and... Yeah. So so, so as far as the tone goes, am I, am I understanding you correctly that the, the mainline Mass Effect games are sort of... I mean, the joke kind of is mystical space Jesus, right? Like... Uh, well, as, as far as the tone goes, the other game was you play as a super soldier. You know, right. you play as a guy who's... Girl. Know, really good at what he does. He's a specter. He's, you know, and in, in this game, operative. you play as an explorer. Like, you play, you don't play as in this person, game, despite you having your dad is that super soldier guy, but right. he dies very early on. And you have to, either playing as the son or the daughter, you have to basically pick up that sort of ill fitting mantle and then kind of grow into it over the course mm. of the game. Right. And uh, the cool thing is, though, is I, I chose Lady lady uh writer whatever sarah sarah writer and uh depending on which character you choose it's actually you know the character you don't choose is actually still stuck in stuck in cryo sleep from the trip over um and so and something happens where she can't he or she can't wake up and so it's kind of instead of just being you know there's two different shepherds uh, both of those characters that you can play as are in the game just depending on which one you choose is the one you actually roll around with and so i think you played as a dude shepherd i did dude, yeah uh, i played writer, as, right? as a dude uh but not not the stock dude like i, I took the because because you can either be sarah or scott Ryder, and those are like the the ones that you see in the marketing material maybe but right. or you can like create your own guy so i created my own guy who i thought looked like a i don't know more sort of nolan north uh, appropriate. You gave him some face. mad eyebrows. <laughs> and um, I, I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing chick, chick writer. Yeah, I, um, I thought she's um, okay. You know, if I ever get, if I ever play it again at some point, then I, I would like to play as as the 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 sister, the writer sister. 
Um, but you know, I, I did, I thought the guy was good also. I thought he is, his voice acting was, was, you know, good enough. And, um, I, I, since I did play a female shepherd in three games, I thought, well, maybe this time I'll roll, uh, you know, with the twig and some of that gender equality. And, uh, so, so the one key difference between this game compared to the other Mass Effect games is it's kind of more open worldy where, you kind of travel to it. Like, I've only done one planet. I've been to one planet so far. And you basically land on the planet. And you can just drive around on your in your little space buggy wherever you want. And go check things out. And go on little side missions. And go and explore things. And then, you, of course, you have your main objectives you're trying to complete as well. But it's kind of a drastic change. In, in the previous Mass Effect games, it was like, okay, now it's time to go do this thing. And you kind of go through a linear mission um, where you fight bad guys, find some stuff, scan some things. And then keep fighting, and then the mission's over. And this is more like, okay, choose your own adventure. What do you want to do now? You're on this planet. Um, I'm assuming that opens up even more uh, the further I get into the game. But that's kind of a different thing. And I, I'm kind of, I'm taking some advice from Dale, where I don't really want to pay attention to the open world, like collect all the things and just the filler stuff. Yeah, yeah, the filler open world stuff that kind of pads out a game of this scan type, those of planets. an open world type game. Uh, the scanning is actually pretty quick. Um, the actual planet stuff. It's just when you actually land on the planet, you can drive so around and you'll what, you have what like you a mining thing that'll the, pop up. And... The Nomad uh, buggy cart thing, as as opposed to the the Mako that was in the original Mass Effect. Well, game. it's a lot. It's a lot more versatile. Uh, it's got six wheel drive, so you click on the right mouse button and it turns into six wheel drive, so you can go up steep inclines. And yep. it's got speed boost. It's a lot faster. It's a lot more maneuverable. It's more you can upgrade to drive, it too. As as you go along, you can, you'll oh, be able really? to purchase upgrades for it to, you know, like make the boost last longer, or make the jump higher, that sort of thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's fun. I like it, and it's um, I like running over uh, Andromeda. You know. Um, wildlife. wildlife. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of always satisfying, but it's it's kind of cool because you're exploring, you're exploring these different worlds, and you can pull out a scanner and scan stuff. Um, and I thought it was going to be kind of annoying. I thought oh, I'm going to always have my scanner up rather than anything else. But you kind of like it. You land on the first world and you're scanning, which is supposed to be the humans' golden world that they were supposed to actually go and colonize. And and uh, you pull out your scanner and you start scanning like wildlife and. You know, the, the the game opens up really, really strong with you. It actually feels like, yeah, I'm here as an explorer. I'm going to find out what's going on with my planet. And you land on there and you're just kind of checking stuff out, exploring and doing that rather than... That first mission is a know. real uh, pretty good intro. Like the one where you go down with your dad and then yeah. Habitat 7 is the, the, the planet. Um, right. And that, so that one's like pretty well action packed. You got that whole sequence flying in with the shuttle, and then one of the shuttles like gets diverted or, or crashes or whatever. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty strong intro. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, it was good. I, I'm really enjoying the game. So I plan to keep on playing it. I'll beat it like I did all the other Mass Effect games. Um, they all there also is a tie-in novel. Dale, you into that? You know, I I was in the the bookstore just yesterday, and um, you know, I, I happened to to walk by and pick up that tie-in novel just because I was curious. Having played it's called the game, Nexus, right? Uh, it's called Nexus Uprising, which um, is is actually some pretty important events that take place um, just before the game begins. Not just before, but some sometime before the game begins, like a year. Um, right? Yeah, and and so having played the game. I was kind of curious what's the novel about. And so I was reading and I like, I was figured, Oh, so the main character in the novel is this person. That's interesting because, you know, I knew who they were from playing the game, but I didn't think that they might, I, I didn't think of them as like a lead character or anything, but yeah, uh, yeah it was kind of interesting. 
Yeah. So there you go. Mass Effect Andromeda. It's pretty awesome. And that's all I have to talk about. So I finished Mass Effect Andromeda. Whoa! After, holy cow. Uh, <laughs> What's after, the final clock? After putting uh, about right out about 80 hours on the um, save data clock, right? Uh, so like my origin says like 86 hours or something, but the, the save game itself says 80. Um, hmm. And... Man, that's that's a long game. Um, <laughs> so, Lagranda, at one point you'll get to where you have about five or six of the planets that you can kind of that, that are open worldy that you can kind of go between and um, do just all of your your quests and stuff. And so, kind of what I would recommend, maybe as you get toward like the middle, like maybe the, the second half of the game, is um, start paying attention to not just the, the like the priority missions because like it's it's very 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 obvious when you're you're at the like plot priority you know junction right because because like with a lot of mass or Bioware games even they give you like two or three sort of key places to go um, but another thing you want to do is just start paying attention to like where the loyalty missions start popping up because some of those mm-hmm. have you like traipsing back and forth between all those planets a bunch of times and you want to try to like like it's like doing wow questing right you want to like try to get a parcel of them and go out and and sort of cut down on the travel time as much as you can so just maybe uh, so they're different from the old mass effect like or loyalty missions well yes and no so so most of the loyalty missions in andromeda begin with um go here and there two or three places maybe and then you kind of embark on one of those like bottle missions that takes you to a unique episode right uh but there's one in particular it's uh pb um the asari if her loyalty mission is is kind of egregious about like sending you around to maybe like six or seven different spots uh before uh because her whole thing is she likes the ancient um alien technology she's researching the technology yeah so you end up going to a bunch of different remnant sites for her so so maybe just like start thinking about that early so that you don't uh in the end, you're not, like, just running fetch quests all the time. If she um, likes the ancient alien it. technology, would you say that she is the Giorgio Tsoukalos of Mass Effect Andromeda? Because I'm not going to say it's ancient aliens, but... Oh, is that, uh, uh, is that she's the all, She's all about it. Okay. Yeah. For sure. I didn't get that at so, first. No. So who, who did you romance, Dale? PB. That's the big question. PB. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's she's definitely my type more so than... Well, more so than a, a Turian. <laughs> Or Cora. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I've heard that if you're if you're really into the romancy stuff, that that Mass Effect Andromeda is a little bit thin on options. Like no. you have kind of well, no on options maybe. I mean, I, it depends. I guess what you're looking for. Uh, as a as a and like, if you're into digital video game romance, I don't know. But but well, the, but I mean, I guess there's like some weird, disgusting guys and and like the people who. You know, like if you're looking for a nice straight man, like a bunch of them are, are gay and, you know, they're not really options under certain Wait, circumstances. So like, like you, what do you mean? Like you're looking for a nice straight man or you are a nice straight man looking for... No, looking for... If you're if you're playing as a lady. Oh, and you're looking for a nice straight man. Yeah, like... Uh, well, I would think... I would think Liam would be an option. And he's he's a human dude. Well, I so, guess if... I guess if you're looking for a human dude, 
Might as well go and with then, me. Uh, nobody wants human dudes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I was just curious because I've, I've sort of heard... In fact, I heard that they were actually making some some changes to... Uh, I don't know if it was like to expand some of the romantic options in the game. Well, just today, again, with the, the, the patch that has just come out today, one of the other things it's doing is making um, one of the other existing characters... Uh, they're giving him like the option to go both ways now, whereas I think he was... I guess he would only pair with a woman before, and I think I think you can do either way now. Yeah. Right. It's, unless it's the other. I mean, whatever he was, he was monosexual before. Is, is that the word? I don't know. Yeah, uh, but monosyllabic. Now he's, he's, yeah, but now he, he'll be bi, so if you'd want to do bi-syllabic. that. Bi-syllabic. But anyway, no, I, I romanced PB, the the Asari, because she was kind of a, a more sort of bubbly and fun personality, whereas Cora was just kind of... I, it's not my favorite companion. <laughs> yeah, she's um, a vanguard though, so that's always badass. Yeah, I did like to have her. Well, so so either her or PB were the the biotics users because I played Ryder as a soldier. PB's like straight biotic, right? She she's got to be straight biotic. Um, I, they both use a lot of biotic powers for sure. I I didn't pay too much attention. Like I always do that thing where I let the game level up the party members, and I only I, I concentrate too. on yeah. my Makes guy. Makes it easier. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I get I really lazy when it comes to this kind of stuff nowadays, you know. I had a so, lot of fun uh, with the combat. So without spoiling the ending, how was it? Did you defeat the enemy boss? Did that cauliflower head guy? I mean, was it satisfying? Do you feel like it was? It was interesting. It it, it was it was interesting, and um, I think it leaves the door open if they wanted to do more in the Andromeda Galaxy. Uh, yeah, it was pretty. I was pretty well satisfied with it. Yeah, I liked it. All right, excellent. Nice. I, 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 one thing I really actually liked a lot was um, uh, one of the, for me one of the major draws of, of the Halo games was always like the the space mega structure sort of stuff like the like in Halo Three you went to the Ark and you could like see how they were making the Halos you know and um, mm-hmm. like the just immense like like an orange peel of a planet flowered out into space you guys remember that right. Yeah. With like the sure. horizon view was just like insane and like super cool skyboxes. I, I love looking at the when you're on the halo and you're looking up and the yeah. planet just curves upwards around you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That yeah. stuff was awesome. Yeah, so the end of, of Andromeda has some pretty cool space megastructure stuff that uh, I was like, Oh yeah, this is this is awesome. Nice. Very cool. Man, well, screw all those internet haters and those pitchfork wearers and those neckbeards that complain about games you know what without it was? actually playing them. There was, a, and this is funny because actually just today the uh, Kotaku ran an article about. Um, it was kind of like some like inside scuttle on the development of Andromeda from I think they had like twelve anonymous Bioware sources. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, there was a lot of sort of. Uh, dirty laundry or whatever. But the, the one thing that kind of comes out is that it was probably the decision to the, the actual decision to make it more open world that led to whatever failings the game has being those failings. Um, because I think the things th- there are things that are, uh, I guess you could say poorly done in Andromeda. And, and I think actually most of it does happen have to do with the sort of, open world filler stuff. But then I got to thinking about it and I was like, I don't know how else you do 
a game with like big wide open planets that you can drive the the nomad around and have a good time, right? Without you got to have stuff to you have to have reason to go around. Yeah, exactly. Right. And in fact, there is actually one that that was the big complaint about the first mass, the very first Mass Effect, was that you get you land on the planet with your Mako and you drive around and there was nothing. There was like one thing to find. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was like one thing to find. It was like a down satellite. You had to find it, get some engineer points out of it, and that was it. And everyone complained about that. I, they they did actually, and I loved those sections of the original Mass Effect just because I loved driving the Mako. It was such a you like, fl- you like flying around in that thing, and it had the big cannon on the front. It wasn't huh? bad. I, I didn't awesome. hate the Mako. And I really it, liked this. And those this those planets in that first Mass Effect game, they had more of a kind of like um, weird topographies because the the Mako was much more capable with like the jump jets and like zero or like low gravity sort of stuff. Whereas in uh-huh. in Andromeda, you're always on like not always. There's one planet that I think they put in there just so that you can have a good time jumping ramps and stuff. Um, that's the planet like of Hazard Challenge sort of situation. Um, that's cool. But yeah, I don't, overall, you know, I, I did really enjoy Andromeda. You just got to make sure not to get bogged down in the sort of open world filler stuff. And I think you'll have a really good time. So I, I got some news about my character. So I'm playing straight biotic. I'm playing space, space magic, space chick. magic, dude. Chick. Uh, and as soon as you start going down that route, uh, her jump jets that you have on your backpack are replaced by biotic power that boosts you up rather than that. It's kind of cool. Is it? Does it go farther or faster or something? It's probably identical, but, but it, it glows. the, the, the visual the appearance is me like being using magic, using biotic power to lift myself up to boost and hmm. hover there rather than... Because um, yeah. in the first mission, before I had chosen any powers or anything like that, I had a backpack with jetpack, right? Then as soon as I started going down the biotic route, all what about of a sudden for your, that jetpack for your exist. dash or like dodge dash sort of move? Is that also biotic or is that still yep, the jump? It's pack? all it's all part of that same thing. Huh. It's like she's surrounded in biotic energy and flies up in the air and then dashes forward with it, um, which I don't quite understand how to control that completely yet. But hmm. I don't I don't know. Can you dash side to side too? Yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing, um, I ended up playing it almost entirely with a controller, and I really liked it that way. So I I think you you mentioned mouse and keyboard earlier, right? Yeah, I've been playing. Um, Yeah, I like like the three powers with one, two, three. It's kind of, you're kind of used to that with video games at this point. Yeah, because with... With the controller, it's it's like either left or right bumper or both at the same time, which is a little bit awkward. Um, But overall, I did. I played it with a controller, and uh, because it's mostly like third person shooting cover sort of stuff. um, Right. And I was tapping those A and B buttons for the jump and dodge stuff all the time because that was my sort of combat playstyle. I had a not really good time. Office equipment for me. That's it. That's (laughs) all I play video games with. In fact, I'm thinking of uh, when I return to Witcher 3, I'm thinking of giving the controller a go on that one, too. I actually played that one with the controller oh, yeah? over the mouse and keyboard. Yep. It, it worked out? Yeah, it was good. Cool. Mm-hmm. cool. I'm waiting for the move controls patch. Keep oh, waiting, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, so, for Mass um, Effect 1 so we can get started on the series. I keep saying it, uh, but I, I had a really good time with Andromeda. In contrast, uh, maybe that's a little harsh, but I, I tried out the Elder Scrolls Legends, the oh, yeah. CCG this week. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess it's been out for a while, like in sort of a beta state or something. But it just right. recently released on Steam and on um, Android OS, I believe. And so I kind of was like, well, you know, I, I finished Mass Effect. I don't really have anything else I'm focusing on. Let me let me try this out. I'm kind of curious about it. And um, so I managed to get basically through all the tutorials, right? 
to the point where it dumps you out to you know to to play the game as you would Hearthstone or whatever. Normally, yeah. Uh, as and and when I say as you would Hearthstone, uh, that's the that's the key phrase for this entire game is yeah. as as with Hearthstone because <laughs> this yeah. basically seems like a pretty shameless. Uh, just almost a hundred percent lift of everything that Hearthstone is doing, um, even down to like the design of the the menu and UI and turn order, like just all sorts of stuff. They have added some unique and interesting things. Um, the idea of uh, breaking up the playfield into lanes that your creatures you put a creature down in one of two lanes, and they can only interact with creatures in the same lane on the other side of the board so that's one way of kind of mixing up combat a little bit another thing that i think is an interesting choice and i would actually maybe like to see this added to hearthstone too it'd probably mess up the balance even worse there but is um your uh basically for every five points of life that you lose you get a free card draw is it's like a rune system thing and it's but basically what it boils Uh down to is that I think it's kind of there to act as a little bit of rubber banding so that Mm -hmm. you don't just get completely blown out of the water without the ability to to fight back at all. And actually, I like it. I think it's a really good idea because um, my experience with Hearthstone or or with Magic the Gathering before that uh, is that um, a lot of times things can snowball and and you can just kind of get beat down real quick (laughs) without much recourse to do anything about it and i think it's because and that that really never feels good right um it doesn't feel good to be on the receiving end of it and even if you're on the the dealing end of that it's you know you're just beating somebody down without giving your deck strategy the chance to breathe or anything it's just i think it's probably better to to mitigate that factor to some degree um but the reason that I don't think I'm going to play this game anymore, or I'm almost definitely not going to, is because the the sum of the art and like voice acting and, and stuff like that is just like unbearably terrible. Like it was just awful. So, but it, when I say that, I don't. I'm not talking about the art like on the individual cards, which I thought was fairly decent for the most part and all the ones that i saw i thought it was a pretty pretty good art and you, you can choose one of those as like a portrait for your character and i found like a, a cool looking like red guard guy with a sword you know that i was like oh that's a pretty cool avatar um and i thought all the other ones looked pretty good no it was the sort of like interstitial cutscenes and um the kind of story that they're trying to tell as they guide you through the uh tutorial and then the the sort of single player missions and stuff there's a a campaign but it's just it's filled with the most the just like the ugliest art and the the worst sort of (laughs) approximation of animation and then um the just like most cliched and boring sort of scripts and and fantasy tropes and cliches and i was just like this is just awful it's like (laughs) <laughs> it's terrible. And the Elder Scrolls is, um, you know, it's pretty generic anyway. But this was like, it was like generic fantasy made even worse by uh, grafting on, you know, like aesthetics of, it's almost like the people didn't even care when they were making that stuff that it was so bad. Um, so that's a shame. <laughs> you, you know, I and, actually played this as well this week, and I feel like there are a couple of things because it does it does chase Hearthstone, and I think that it, at this point, in, in the same way that World of Warcraft sort of became the proto MMO, I guess, 
Uh, I, I think most card games are chasing Hearthstone in, in one form or another. You know, you Agreed. have your hero character that is sort of your life pool, um, and, and you can attack directly, or, you know, you have the, the creatures, the little minions, basically, and, and just like you said, it's split into the two lanes, the two halves. Uh, thing is, though, there are a couple of other things that, that are kind of uh, interesting about this. So first off, uh, it, you mentioned Magic the Gathering, and it does have sort of a color-coded... Um, in Hearthstone, you have classes, right? So your, your primary character is a shaman or a um, mage or, or whatever, right? And that sort of determines the types of cards that you would play with that hero, and the hero has an ability. In this, they have this color-coded... Uh, like build your own class kind it's of. Like, there's system. like strength and agility and mana or something. Yeah, or intelligence and willpower classes. and endurance, and each one is represented by a color. And so the idea is that you can either go for one straight color if you want to, or they kind of have this like if you if you blend say uh, red strength and yellow willpower, you get a crusader style deck, or green agility and purple endurance gives you a scout or something like that, or a sorcerer's endurance and intelligence, and so on and so on. Um, which I think uh, you know, and I certainly haven't played this a lot, and I never really got into the real depth of Hearthstone either, but. Um, I feel like it gives you a little bit more control over the style of play that you want to have, I think. I think that's um, that's plausible. Yeah, and I, I didn't dig far enough in to get to that point where I was building a deck or anything. Because the other thing I determined in playing this game for a while, it was like, I don't want to fiddle around with building decks anymore. I, I played years of Magic, and I, I played enough Hearthstone to just... Just get my yeah. fill of that sort of thing. <laughs> it is, but, yeah, and I think I will say that, I mean, I agree with you in, in, in one sense, which is that I feel like it's almost too much like Hearthstone, so I still do get a little bit of that Hearthstone stress, but not quite as bad, because I think the two lanes... I, I had talked once a few months back about Plants vs. Zombies Heroes, the, the PVZ uh, card game on mobile, and that one is all about the lanes. Like, there's like five lanes in that, and, you know, that definitely changes the dynamic of it, and I, and I really felt like I could play that a little more... Um, like less anxiety, I, I guess, is sort of what I got from that. Or something like Duelist, which is totally different from something like Hearthstone because of the, um, you know, the, the game board element to it where you really then, you, you place units and then you can move them around. I'm really looking forward to, and I'm sure they're still working on it, the, the mobile version of Duelist because that's the one that I, you know, would really like to get into, but I just don't ever really want to sit down. And I, I liked and Duelist of what I played with it. The, the, thing that I found with Duelist is that for me, in a game like this, I want it to be kind of casual in the way that Hearthstone is. And Duelist is maybe just a little too intense when you start thinking about like the tactical battles and, yeah. and again, the deck building and all that. Although I love the Duelist like aesthetic, the art style and all that stuff. And, and just right. the idea of having it be the tactical battles is, is also... That's a, that's a really cool game for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I, I just wanted to chime in and say that I found Elder Scrolls Legends to be sufficiently different from Hearthstone as to at least give you a, you know a Pepsi to the to the Hearthstone Coke. That's fair. Because uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure that there's. I mean, is there anything else? I, I mean, is there a is there a Mountain Dew out there somewhere that I'm not really thinking of, or is is it pretty much those? Uh, someone else was doing a card base. Wasn't there another franchise somewhere that was doing? Uh, oh, I might be thinking of Went. Which is a total different. Yeah, animal. Gwent is is very different. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but uh, anyhow, I, I just kind of wanted to chime in and say, you know, I think. Do you more agree with me that, about the uh, about the the cutscenes and, um, and that stuff, though? Uh, I mean, yeah, but I kind of appreciate the fact that they're there, and you know, I never I never played any of the expansions for Hearthstone, so I don't know. Was there ever any attempt yes. at, a, at a story element in? The yeah, Hearthstone, they had. Or? So there's two types of like expansions Nax- for Naxxramas and and the yeah. Yeah, the, in in Hearthstone they have the card expansions and then they have the single player adventure expansions, and yeah, Naxxramas was one of those single player adventure things, which is basically just kind of a series of duels against like a a, a CPU big big um, it's like a staged duel in that game, right? Where yeah. it's like you're you're going against one of the raid bosses or whatever, and they have special rules that only apply to them in that battle. It's not like not like what you would see playing another player. Uh, yeah. And those, they do have, I guess you could say they're kind of telling a story, but it's not It's not a cutscene sort of thing like yeah. Elder Scrolls Legends so, so does. That was kind of the thing. So I, I, I agree that it's not like stellar, but I appreciated the fact that they were there. I mean, the, the thing that I always felt from Hearthstone was it was like basically throwing you in and it was like, here you go, and people are going to kick your butt up and down. And, yep. you know, I, I appreciated the fact that there was a really well-guided tutorial. I mean, they start you out, and and I actually talked oh, uh, earlier this endless. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes on a long time. Um, I mean, they start you out normally your your life bar, and I and I talked about this a little bit on the tech gaming podcast this week, so there there'll be one of those. Look forward to those. But they start you out with like your hit points at six or something, so that you can win that first round in a couple of moves, and then they sort of. By the way, did you lose any of those tutorial matches? Because I I thought it might be possible to, but I never did. I no, I I didn't, and I, and actually that thought occurred to me as well. Like, let me blow myself up here and see what happens. But uh, they, I think they pretty well. They always you know, give you like the, the exact card you need at the right time in in yes. those. Because I I flubbed a couple of decisions and I thought, oh, I might lose this. But then they they give you the best card. Yeah, I, I think I think they, and that's the thing. Like they they try to ease you into it. Um, and just it might just be me. It certainly is me. But with Hearthstone, I always felt like I was. You know, it was like if I ever won, it was in total spite of myself. Um, which, <laughs> you know, I I I sort of have been more hopeful with Le- Elder Scrolls Legends that you know I I could be more successful with it, or at least have more options on the path to victory, and it's not going to totally be about the random draw of the deck and you know the fact that somebody else has a better mix of of cards going in than I do. And um, they're spamming you, know, you with annoying emotes all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and the fact that if they if they've got something going on in in one side of the lane, you know, I can put a little trash mob on the other side and at least get some good hits in. Uh, the other thing, and 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 uh, this is a, a, I guess a minor thing, but kind of major, is that you do not have to attack the creatures on the board before attacking the hero. Right, so you can, and, and again, I you know maybe, maybe just I, I talk about this again more on the tech gaming podcast, but um, you know you could theoretically just go for the throat the entire time, but it leaves you th- open to counter. You can do that in Hearthstone you, too, right? Uh, I thought you had to. Can you? I, you know, I felt like you have to attack the creatures before you can attack the. I don't think so. I, Hearthstone has those characters that are like taunt, and and Elder Scrolls Legends has the same ability. They call it guard, which those uh. ones. You you are required to attack those before anything yeah. else. I seem to maybe I'm thinking wrong about it, but I seem to remember that in Hearthstone or in something you actually have to attack the the creatures on the board. But anyway, I I, I found this to be you know definitely Hearthstoney, Hearthstone esque, Hearthstone ish, um, but uh, I, I think sufficiently different that I, I think there's something there for people who you know may like that style of game but may find some failings in Hearthstone in some sense. There are definitely failings in Hearthstone. Don't don't take this the wrong yeah, way. Right. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of failings in that game. Um, sure. 
But yeah, Elder Scrolls Legends. I agree. I think it does some cool and interesting things. Like I said, the the lane thing, the rune thing. The yes. um, it sounds like you might have gotten a little further into the like blending your deck from different categories of cards than I do. But I think that's interesting because like as you mentioned with Hearthstone, it's like you basically choose your class and then you have the the card pool for that class and then whatever's in the sort of neutral pool. Right. Also. Exactly. Uh, yep. Yeah. That, that so that uh, wraps it up for me this week. Very good. Well, I've been playing a couple of games uh, far apart from each other on the Spectrum this week. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is uh, new but old. In fact, it actually isn't even out yet on the platform that it's on, uh, but everybody that I can think of has, has probably played this. Uh, Cave Story. Cave Story Plus, technically, on the mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch. Yeah! Um, yeah, and I know we've actually even kind of made passing references to it, and Lorraine, I know you really like it, and uh, I think I would sort of like, hmm, yeah, yeah, but I actually have never played Cave Story. I think I played it for like a couple minutes, and I was like, oh yeah, this is this is all right. Um, but I actually it's sat awesome. down. Yeah, I actually sat down and, and uh, played through a bunch of it, and uh, I'm pr- I don't know ex- I don't really have a point of reference for how far I am, but um, the thing that I that kind of um, is evocative to me about Cave Story is I feel like I'm playing like an old NES game on like a Sunday afternoon or something. I mean, I feel like there's almost like a Blaster Master-esque uh, sort of aesthetic to it. Uh, but but it's not really like Blaster Master at all. It is kind of a Metroid-ish, Metroidvania type game. Um, but very, very simple. Very, very, um, you know predetermined path type stuff this game um, brought retro back before bringing retro back was cool yeah this game was, yeah. came out like a really long time ago like 2004 or something probably yeah right yeah so it's uh now available on the nintendo switch and uh just by virtue of being on that platform is, is pretty cool i have played it both in the tv mode and in uh handheld mode and it fits really well for the platform uh the way it plays is uh it's a side scroller side scrolling platformer with uh little switchable weapons um and in the the blaster master style uh, as you gain experience points your weapon levels up and as you get hit uh it uh, uh kind of powers back down so you're sort of managing not only your life bar but this sort of um experience bar that fills up to i mean so far that i've played it it's like level three so that uh, it makes your shots more powerful or uh their range is longer or uh whatever and, and there are different kinds of weapons that you can generally toggle with the shoulder buttons on the, on the switch um there's a uh, sort of a pistol which you can eventually later upgrade to a minigun uh, there are these uh, grenade launchers, there's a missile launcher, those kinds of things, and you can switch uh, between them for different topical types of enemies. Um, you're sort of going in and out of little doors in the environment, it's all very pixelated, um, but but not really like, you know, super jaggy pixelated, it's just sort of, it just kind of looks and feels the way that old Nintendo games did, using sort of the, the textures and the, the building blocks, the floors, the types of areas that you go into, the grassy areas underground, uh, those sorts of things. And you play as this this little kid. They don't. Uh, I don't know how much of the plot I should really talk about, but you, you don't really know what you are, and you don't really know what's going on in this place. And you sort of slowly figure that out as you as you go through the world. But uh, essentially, there are these little uh, this race of rabbit people who kind of lives under the earth or wherever you're from. Um, they kind of allude to a war that has gone on. They sort of say, oh, you're a soldier, but you don't really know any of that. And, and the whole idea is that these Mimiga, or Mimiga, I don't know how you would pronounce that, Mimiga, um, are, are like these sort of cutesy uh, rabbit-type creatures, but they also kind of have this dark history. Like, there is a little bit of a, a touch of darkness to this to this game. As you try and figure out, uh, their their population is depleted, and they talk about their... Um, you know, their their siblings and, and their friends dying and you there's like a, a grave site and you go and visit them and 
and uh, they talk about, oh, you know, many of us were killed or kidnapped or whatever, and so they're like this little race that is sort of under uh, under attack, and, and they're just sort of the last remnants of them. Um, and again, it, it sort of refers to this war that happened on the surface, and, and you know, how is that related, and, uh, you know, why is this race being exploited, and, and those sorts of things. Um, and, and as far as the, the game itself, um, it is very directed. Um, so in, in the way that say in a Metroid game or in a Castlevania game, you might have a lot more sort of freeform ability to go and find little interesting uh, side routes or, you know, of course you have a main quest, a main, a main line or a critical path, uh, but a lot of times you will get the ability to kind of play around. The areas in Cave Story Plus are fairly limited in scope. Um, you, you have this mechanic to inspect things. You press down on the D-pad, uh, or if you're, if you're using the Joy-Cons, um, the face buttons actually sort of mimic a, a D-pad. Um, or you can use the thumbstick if you want to, but you can sort of inspect things and people and talk to them, and there's little hidden secrets, um, which does create some... Uh, little points of frustration when you're, you know, you've gone back and forth in that same style of old NES games. I know you've all been there, uh, where you sort of have traversed back and forth across the zone and you know something is there, but what is it? And I can't get the thing that's going to get me to the next thing. Um, so there is a little bit of that. And I, and I actually did look up once, uh, you know, on the internet, the solution to something. And it turns out that I was actually on the right track, but in the wrong place. And uh, so that was partly frustrating and partly validating, um, but but it's that kind of thing, you know, in that same, uh, again, I just kind of keep calling back to NES, uh, where they don't tell you exactly where you need to go. There is a map, but it doesn't really tell you what it is you need to be doing. Um, all of these zones are connected together through this teleporter system, and even though you have the ability to go back and forth, most of the time you're going to be in one area of the game, and you're going to pretty much do that stuff until it's done, uh, maybe fight a boss, or, you know, uh, find a key item, or collect components to, uh, you know, just move along. It has a very, very simple adventure-y type element to it. Um, almost to the point that I would hesitate to call it an Egovania-style game. It's, it's mostly just that things are sort of gated by the next step in the progress of your quest, basically. Um, and maybe it does open up a little bit later. Like I said, I have not finished the game, but I do plan to complete it. I do plan to go all the way through it. It is, it is a lot of fun. The music is really cool. They actually give you in the Switch version. I don't know if this is a, you know, because even Cave Story Plus uh, has been around for a long time on various platforms. I have it on PC. I've just never played it, but they give you the ability to do different musical styles, like the original style or the, um, you know, enhanced version, which kind of uses MIDI sort of instruments. Um, but the music is, is quite cool. Um, the aesthetic is pretty neat. Uh, the shooting and, and the dropping of, of uh, you know, little experience points and the enemies that you can kill, um, all, all of that really fits together really well. The, um, the, the, animations of, of little people, you know, when you're talking to someone, it kind of has that uh, that little window with the close-up face portrait. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, the little portrait view, and the, you know, the Mimiga are very cute and very determined. Um, your character and, and characters like you that you come across are, are, are kind of cool. Um, there's a host of these characters. I, I don't know that I find most of them very memorable, but I am interested to see where the story goes, and uh, so I have been enjoying Cave Story. On the Nintendo Switch, it is not out until June 20th, I think? Um... So if you haven't played it before, if you're like me and you've got probably three or four different versions of it and just for whatever reason never sat down, uh, if you're looking for something that's portable, I know that it did come out, as we've mentioned on the show before, on the 3DS, um, but here you have another another portable option. It's on Steam actually, as well. 
Uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, so it is, again, it is on lots of those platforms, and it's just a question of whether you are, um, you know, interested in the, the portability of it, I guess, um, and, you'd, and, you know, you'd rather play it on the new platform and, and you know, play it on the TV. It scales really well on the TV. I, I have no complaints about playing it the handheld version versus the TV. Um, it, it, you know, translates really well uh, either way. So um, look forward to that later this month if you're interested in it. I can tell you that uh, as somebody who has not played it before, uh, it holds up and is uh, a lot of good fun to play. Uh, second game that I've been playing, I mentioned it was on the very far end of the spectrum. Uh, that other end of the spectrum is Endless Space 2, which came out on PC this month? Maybe at the very end of last month? It's a very... Endless Space 2. Very yeah, recently, Endless way. Space 2. Yeah, it is, it is also pretty new. And um, we have talked about a lot of the Amplitude games on this podcast before. Um, I, I think, in fact, all of us, I think, have had a different crack at the bat for um, Endless for Legend. For all of them, probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dale, you had talked about the, uh, the, the roguelike Dungeon one. Of the, 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 the Dungeon of the Endless. Dungeon of the Endless. Um, and, and all of these are sort of canonically tied together loosely somehow. Um, but Endless Space is sort of the... I mean, I, I think it's even more complicated than Endless Legend. So Endless Legend is the terrestrial 4X game where you have, um, you know, uh, land-based territories and kingdoms and ground units and those kinds of things. Endless Space is the intergalactic version of the... What do you call these? The Endless Games? I don't even know what you call them. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll call them the Endless Games. Um, and it is, I want to say, it is more complicated, it is more complex, anyway, than Endless Legend is. Um, it is a fairly standard space-based 4X, so you have your home planet, you have lanes, space lanes, that you, uh, move to different star systems. Um, a star system is made up of several planets, uh, and then you can colonize, potentially, one or more of those planets, and you own the whole system. So there's no claiming of multiple planets. Um, if, if you claim a system, you pretty much have the rights to all of the planets there, and you can eventually develop them. Um, let's see, well, I'm trying to think, what else What else have, have they added to this? So the tech tree is the same endless tech tree like you have in Endless Legend. It's sort of that... Um, concentric, uh, triune, uh, or I guess it's probably, it's quadrinary. It's got, you know, the four different quadrants, um, and you sort of pick from the different quadrants that represent things like economy and military and... It's like there's, they're divided, in Endless Legend anyway, there's like six tiers, and once you get enough of the first tier, whatever quadrant they're in you can then move on to the second tier. yeah so you so you have this concentricness that kind of moves outward but then it's also in these quadrant kind of things um so it uses that same system which i gotta be honest like it's it's kind of cool and kind of different but it is a little bit inscrutable sometimes because um they do in the game in fact in, in endless space here they they do let you control click say on a planet type that you can't colonize like you can't colonize a planet until you've done the research for that planet type and there are you know, a dozen different kinds of planets. There's a difference between snow planets and ice planets and arid planets and desert planets. Each one of those requires a colonization um, uh, element uh, or research to be done to do that. But but it, it's all tucked away within other kinds of research. So you might get, you know, the, the next, uh, um, you know, food processing uh, buildable, but then also that allows you to colonize a an arid planet, say. So they kind of double up on those. And the problem is that you kind of end up sort of knowing what you want to do, but it's a little hard to know how to get there until you've, probably until you've played the game a couple of times, but they do let you control click on an unpopulable, un unpopulable, uninhabitable planet um, to sort of zoom to the tech tree and see which thing it is that you need to do it. So at least they have that. But 
I tend to find myself not really knowing exactly because, you know, they, they do double or, or sometimes it feels like they even triple up on one particular research node that does a bunch of different things. And it is just a little bit difficult to figure out exactly what's going on there sometimes. Forex games always have this problem because they're just by their nature, they're pretty complex, right? Right, right. Mm. And, and, you know, I think the research is more or less analogous to all of the races. But I think I do need to say here, just like in all the rest of the Endless Games, all of the races that you can play as are totally asymmetrical to each other. Um, they all play totally different. So uh, I don't know all the names, but the sort of basic stock humans are kind of like this Russian analog, um, and you can play as these uh, tree people, and, and they work by uh, extending their vines from one system to another, and the vines and, and, and wrap the next system, and that's how you colonize that, so that's something that's totally different as opposed to your, you know, colony ships or whatever. Um, there are other characters. I mean, we've, we've talked about this stuff in some of the other Endless games. They're just, everybody is very creatively... Very unique. imaginative uh, yeah, faction it, design in these Absolutely, these absolutely. And that, and that 4X games are those games that I always want to be good at and want to play and want to enjoy, and then I start, start to play them, and I get confused, and then I just put it away. That's basically... It happens. That's the what happened with me with Endless Legend, and I own Endless Space, the first one, but I've never installed it. Yeah, in fact, I, I bought it just <laughs> fairly recently when it was like $2 or something on some Steam sale. So I, I made a couple of good this. runs at trying to get into the first Endless Space, and um, I, I just never quite got there. I got more into Endless Legend, but I made the mistake of choosing maybe kind of like a more boring faction, but I didn't want to like abort that game i thought i would finish that game but then i still never have so i, I kind of uh <laughs> I, I i'm a little bit on the opposite end of almost both of you in in some way because for me legrand 4x games are my secret crack that i know i have this weakness for but i try not to play them but when i do i'm like it's like 10 hours are gone before i even know what's what's happened so um endless space is a little bit dangerous for me and, and then dale on your end I end up playing the the opening turns of 4X games, especially the endless games, because of the differences between all the races. Because I'll um, I'll start out playing as one, and I'll be like, ah, I, you know, that didn't go the way I wanted. Well, let me try a different race. And wow, they're totally different. And then I start learning those, and then I mess something up on that. And I'm like, well, let me try something different. And so I end up almost kind of like never getting too far. I do find that even in Endless Space 2, there are... Um, for me, there were there were little frustrating ways in which I kind of screwed myself. Where, uh, you know, I would click on something and send a spaceship somewhere, and uh, then I was like, oh no no no! The very next turn, I realized I wanted to to do something else, and it takes like five turns to to you know to move from one place to another until you've done some real serious exploration upgrades. Um, or I will build something, or you know, click on an attack button, and and you know, there was no way for me to gauge the uh, you know how the battle was going to go out. But once you've hit the attack button, you're engaged, and you know, oh there the, you know there's my stats. I guess this was a bad idea, but whoops, I'm committed. You know, I couldn't couldn't just look at it. I'm I'm fighting now. Um, the look of the game. So, um, a couple of things about it. So the user interface in this, I think is probably about as good as you can get for something like this. It, it's hard to compare to something like Civ because everything is so complicated and there are so many buttons. Um, but everything looks really good in this. Um, you start out, for example, being able to, to traverse only through space lanes, but there is a freeform navigation component to this. You can actually send little probes off just into the ether, um, which, which has this very cool, like, polygonal... Um, I mean, almost like, what does it look like? Almost like a crystalline sort of um, 
fog of war that's that's all outside the space lanes. And you can eventually go outside the lanes once you um, ha- have researched that, and you can go out and find space systems that are not connected through the space lanes that you've got right now, or that may be somewhere off in the distance in some enemy territory, but you can sort of shortcut it. Um, so, so that sort of thing is really cool. When you find a new planet, it does this really neat, like, you know, what, what does it look like? Like burnout paradise, like this thing that zooms in on each of the planets in turn and like, like here's this fire planet and it has boop, 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 like these things and here's its neighbor and it has boop, 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 these things. Um, and, and it's just fun to look at when you actually hit the colonize button. Um, it'll zoom to kind of like a... Almost in the same way that Elder Scrolls has that sort of super flat, like you can tell they've sort of animated static pieces to kind of give the semblance of movement. They do that in this too, and you see this like pod like like flaming down onto the planet, and there's this wildlife that's like weird and like looking up at it, and you know there's these archipelagos or like weird things, and they look really cool. Um, the spaceships are kind of weird because they are represented by this weird little hologram thing as you move them around the map, which is a little unusual. Um, but when you engage enemy fleets, they actually have the ability to do this real-time sort of simulation of, of what's going on, and you have the ability to affect it a little bit, or you can auto-calc it, um, but, but all of the engagements are really just based on your abilities and your loadouts versus, um, the enemies. There is a hero system on this as well. I'm trying to remember all of the little things that contribute to this, because it's just very complex. Um, hero who you can assign to planets and have, uh, you know, say gubernatorial abilities, or may you may want to send them out and assign them to a fleet where they'll give you exploration bonuses or fighting bonuses. Um, there's a whole politics system, so not only do you have to manage your planets, but there are factions within your race that, uh, depending on the um, buildables that you choose, or depending on the um, on, on the things that happen, you may find that you get bonuses for the industrialist party, or for the eco party, or for you know science. They they're, they you know they have their own faction for science, and you'll get bonuses or get uh, detractions, I, I, I guess, or or um, you know Demerits. negative bonuses, demerits. Yeah, for for those things being in power, and so you kind of have to figure out like, okay, within my own faction or within my own race, who are the factions that I want to promote. Um, and, and those sort of things. Um, but, but LeBrand, like you were saying, some of the inscrutableness uh, definitely comes out here. And there are systems, I'm going to be honest, um, that I still have not exactly figured out. And I know I can probably look back after some more time with this and say, oh, of course it was this. But there's a whole manpower element where... I don't even know exactly how to describe it, but for example, the imperialist faction that I've been playing as most recently, sort of the standard humans, they have this thing, and you know, I guess this is shared all throughout, where um, your fleets and your planets have this population, almost like a second derivative characteristic that happens, and it's how your how your fleets are manned and how you repair and even even the effectiveness of ground forces are kind of based on this manpower idea. I have no idea yet how it works. Um, and there's not a lot that's really encouraging me to, to dig into it too much. Um, there's a whole thing now. Trade is based on these corporations. So you actually can get corporations that set up these trade routes based on your uh, based on your exotic items and things that you find on the planet. So the planets also have this exploration thing where you can sort of uh, hit a button and find out, well, is there something cool here? Yes, you now have this this cool type of... Uh, you know, geriatric spice melange stuff, or, or you know, this special mushroom that, you know, makes people high all throughout the galaxy, or I, I don't know what it is. So all of those things can happen too. Um, you, you can change the design of your heroes and their spacecraft, and I, just now that I'm, I'm getting into I mean, there's just, it, it's super complex, and I can understand that being a barrier to entry. Like, it would be hard for me to recommend something like this to a new player when you have things like... Um, 
say, Sins of a Solar Empire, which is real-time based, and is still super complex, but is less complex than this, um, but but still has at least some element of, of understandability. That said, I'm really coming back to this. Like, I'm really kind of enjoying it, and, and I still am in the mode where I'm kind of, like, figuring it out and, like, restarting after 30 turns and kind of going back and trying a new race. Um, but there is that depth, which, you know, some games don't have, and somehow I find it appealing, and I realize that some people might not. Um, but if you're listening to this and, and you're interested in those, I mean, Jared might really get into this, you know, he's playing the, uh, you know, the Crusader or the Europa Universalis stuff where you, you know, enact tax policies and, and, uh, you know, lines of succession and, and, and those sorts of things. There's also a mission system in this too. I mean, I haven't even talked about the mission system. There are just different things that you can pursue in addition to just the idea of, hey, kill all the, the people 4X style. They kind of give you a little trail of breadcrumbs to, um, you know, progressively, increase your clout or your power in your empire by giving you like, hey, here's a little side quest, you know, get to a point where you're producing, you know, 50 units of dust per turn and you'll get a bonus or you'll get something for that. Um, in the faction that I'm playing right now, there's a whole plot that goes along with it where, um, you know, in my in my imperial Russian uh, oligarchy, there are there's some rebellion going on, and how am I going to quash those? Well, one way that I can do it is by bribing people, and, and so for that, I have to produce dust, or I have to explore a certain number of things, and that determines the path that I'm taking through this story. So that is kind of cool, too, and I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job explaining the appeal of it. I feel like I'm almost making it sound worse or 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 unappealing with that complexity. Well, the appeal is if you are into 4X games, this is another one of those the that you'll Space probably 4X. like. And it's, yes. it's Amplitude, which is... Uh, it really you know, is, and that's the thing. Oh, I mean, it's one of their games, and it, and it really comes through, and it is, and uh, you know, the product of the iteration that they've um, pursued over the course of their different games and their varying styles of games. Um, and, and I understand it could seem too complex. Um, I'm not sure that you necessarily have to engage on all levels with that stuff, too. So even though I'm describing it, and it seems like this really intricate um, and impossibly complicated bunch of stuff... You don't really have to get into all of it. I mean, it'll introduce itself. They do provide you, here's one thing that's really important, since we mentioned the tutorials in Elder Scrolls Legends, there is a fairly comprehensive tutorial that you can play. Uh, in fact, you have to turn it off, because it'll start you out again with the tutorial, and it will explain to you, hey, now click on this, and you're going to see this. Now go over here. You're going to have an election now. Here's what's happening. Be aware of these political factions. So it does walk you through this, and that's how I was able to come and explain it, because I had it explained to me by the game, which I think is something that is really a, a, a feather in its cap that it that it has I, I did the tutorial with Endless Legend and I forgot half of the stuff they told me at the end of it like, I still didn't know how to play the game <laughs> yeah I, I mean, and I tried to continue playing whatever the tutorial mission was you could, like, can keep on going or whatever and you kind of got to learn also, by I got doing. to a point where I had to fight and I did not know how to <laughs> didn't yeah. know what to do yeah yeah. And, and yeah. this, I mean, it really is almost playing the game along with you. Uh, so it's not like a separate tutorial. It's actually saying, okay, we're, let's play your match together. I mean, to the best of their ability, I think they, they've got like a little co-op buddy who is sort of explaining to you, okay, here's what you need to, to have your mind on. But you're exactly right, though. It's complicated, and it may not be for everybody. But if any of this sounds appealing to you, um, Endless Space or Endless Space 2, which is the one I'm playing, uh, are definitely worth looking into. And, you know, I have ten tended to find that the more complicated or the more complex something is, the more re rewarding it is to grasp it later on and, and to feel like I've, I've done something good. And you know what? The s space out there is so big that, you know, you're never in, like, immediate 
losing mode conflict. Um, most of it is just kind of figuring out how to build your empire, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a pleasant obstacle to push against and to uh, learn as you go. So um, Endless Space 2, definitely worth looking into. We'll maybe watch some videos on it and, and kind of get a feel for what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely a lot of cool moving parts, and uh, they, I think they've really done a good job presentation and interface-wise, so definitely worth checking out. And uh, listeners, if you feel that uh, the Game Byte Show podcast is a little bit complex, well, let me break it down for you. Uh, we do this podcast twice a week, and uh, you've just made it through half of the week. Uh, this has been the Games We've Been Playing show, and we'll be back in just a few days to talk to you about the news, the new releases, and a special topic of video game discussion. Uh, remember that this coming week is E3 this week. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk oh, about. Man. Yeah, it's super exciting. Lots of big stuff uh, coming out here uh, just in the next handful of days. So keep it tuned to your Game Bite Show podcast. Make sure to subscribe. Tell all of your friends to do that as well. Uh, reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you're excited about for this coming week. You can find us collectively on Twitter at Game Bite Show. You can also reach out to us individually. I am at Jeremy underscore Lamont. You can find me at Legrand. And I am at Count Elmdor. You can also find our fourth man and good buddy, Jared Red Dunn, at R-E-D underscore I. He hosts our Twitch.tv streams over Twitch.tv slash Show once a week. Uh, you can also find the archives of what we've done over at YouTube.com slash Show. Lots of good games that we've played there. Uh, this past week we played Dead Cells, which uh, kind of interestingly has a graphical style a little bit like Duelist that we were talking about a little bit earlier, but it's also kind of a side-scrolling uh, Egovania roguelike, uh, which uh, is pretty neat. It's kind of fun bashing down doors in that game. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go check us out on YouTube and uh, see what you think. Um, until next time, folks, this has been your Game Bite Show podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time. See ya.